Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Rablick and thank you for joining me for this podcast. Over the past 12 months, we've heard a lot about the growth of right-wing extremism and extremist organisations in Australia and elsewhere. In recent times, we've seen a series of reports, um, including one from the Centre for the Study of uh, Radical well, uh, known as the Centre for the Analysis of the Radical Right, and Hedaya, which paints Australia as a jurisdiction that doesn't do much uh, in reigning in right-wing organisations that are extreme in their ideology, as well as at times being extreme in their, their violence. So the release of these reports and the work of a parliamentary committee it makes it a convenient time to talk to Senator Christina Keneally. Senator Keneally has been one of the forces behind getting the committee to actually uh, convene and consider the issues of the far right, how the far right behaves in Australia and what Australia can do at a government and community level to stem the influence that we're seeing at the moment. Senator Keneally, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. Now, look, these things always benefit from some definition, don't they? Uh, What do you see as the state of play in Australia at the moment with what we call the far right? Well, we know from our national security agencies that uh, since 2016, uh, they have had to increase uh, their uh, resources and focus on the growth of the far right uh, in Australia. So in ASIO's case, uh, they've gone from allocating about 10 to 15 percent of their counterterrorism resources to the far right, uh, now up to 40 percent. Uh, and we see similar figures from uh, Australian federal police and state police forces in terms of their counterterrorism demand. And that is really due to uh, a few factors. One, uh, that um, around the world, we're seeing the rise of far right uh, movements and groups. Uh, And we have seen uh, groups, uh, particularly in Europe and the United States, uh, participate in and, um, in fact, sponsor uh, violent attacks. Uh, The second thing is the Internet makes it much easier for these groups to connect uh, and inspire uh, individuals and other groups in other countries like Australia. And then thirdly, COVID has really accelerated a rise of racist and um, other grievances that people might have in terms of socioeconomic or, or other uh, uh, you know, un- grievances in their personal life that uh, far-right uh, extremists are using uh, to um, really radicalise, recruit and propagandise people to their hate-filled views. It's what are the sorts of organisations, the sorts of individuals we're talking about here? Uh, Because the words, there are people who've taken exception to the use of the term far right, as as we both know. What what are the kinds of uh, organisations we're talking about? Yeah, there are your kind of traditional, if I can use that word, uh, neo-Nazi skinhead type groups, and they do still exist. Uh, But uh, the rise of the far right we're seeing today and right wing extremist groups that we're seeing today really do have a a wide range of fluid ideologies that um, they select from and weave together to 
uh, craft manifestos and and uh, and uh, arguments uh, to bring people to their cause. And so you're looking at things that include, of course, white supremacy and um, uh, racism, and very much that notion as one group here in Australia, you know, proudly proclaims uh, that you know they are there to create Australia for the white man. Um, and you know, I specifically note not just the racial aspect of that statement, but also the gender aspect, because the other thing that many of these right-wing extremist groups are are is misogynist. Um, they have a deep uh, um, hatred for women. Uh, some of them um, quite clearly uh, present, uh, and then you get into a whole range of other um, ideologies. Uh, there's, you know, for example, eco-fascism, uh, which, you know, of course, some people hear the word echo and think, well, how could that possibly be right-wing? It is literally an argument that says that, um, you know, uh, nature uh, must be uh, protected and retained for you know the white race or the chosen race, uh, and therefore um, right-wing extremists would argue that we need to install a fascist government that can protect nature and the environment uh, for the enjoyment of, of the white race. Um, it's a, so it, it's a very fluid uh, and 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 sometimes uh, almost contradictory sounding set of ideologies, but the most um, I think alarming aspect uh, once we you know deal with the hatred and the misogyny, the racism and, and all the other uh, issues is that it is also deeply anti-democratic. Um, Right-wing extremism uh, wants to undermine democracy, wants to overthrow democracy, wants to install fascist or dictatorial governments. And, you know, you'd only need to look at um, what happened in uh, the United States with the U.S. Capitol attacks that was literally a mob that wanted to stop the counting of the democratically held election uh, that had uh, removed Donald Trump from office and, and delivered the presidency to Joe Biden. They literally sought to you know, kidnap or uh, harm U.S. senators to stop them from certifying that result. There are still some voices, aren't there, that, that argue that Antipa was a major force in conducting that, but uh, any, any prudent analyst uh, with access to the facts or having studied the matter would know that there are the, the far-right militias like the Oath Keepers mm. and, and Three Percenters, including the Proud Boys and also the QAnon kooks over in the States, uh, were, the, were the principal uh, protagonists and you don't have to be an expert in this tom you know they were literally planning them online in plain view uh you know it was um you know none of us should have been surprised although you know it was stunning imagery and i can't imagine in my lifetime i would have seen that but at the end of the day it was literally being planned in plain view online uh i think the thing that probably startled people was the the strength of the response um and you know that should be a wake-up call to us in australia that um, if that can happen in the United States, it can it can happen. You know, in in we should not think it cannot happen here. What role do you think the Christchurch massacre played in in awakening some people to the right wing extremist threat? Well, the Christchurch uh, massacre and the manifesto of the Christchurch terrorist uh, play a significant role, and not all of it positive. 
um, because when you talk about awakening people, uh, the Christchurch um, Terrace Manifesto uh, has been used and continues to be used by right-wing extremist groups and individuals to uh, promote, uh, propagandize, recruit, and inspire further attacks. And um, this is important to understand because manifestos and individuals like the Christchurch terrorists play a significant role in right-wing extremism. You know, manifestos become a tool, they are shared, they are marked for their, and rated for their body count. That is, you know, how many did they, did the shooter do? How many other shooters have been inspired by that? And indeed we've seen, you know, for example, in the United States, um, attacks that have occurred since Christchurch have cited the Christchurch shooters manifesto as an inspiration. And so in, you know, in many um, ways, it has been a, uh, it has enlightened and awakened a lot of people, but not in a way that um, we as a community should welcome. It's been quite alarming. Uh, but it's also interesting to note, you know, comments as is, is recent as this week from Victorian police uh, that, you know, Australian national security agencies really hadn't taken the threat of right-wing extremism um, as seriously as they took other forms of um, you know, religiously motivated extremism. Uh, and, you know, really the, the, the attacks in Christchurch, the, the, the terrorist attacks in Christchurch should have been a wake-up call. I think they are belatedly now a wake-up call as we start to see the spike and the spread of right-wing extremism across Australia. Technology is agnostic. Uh, technology doesn't have a personality. Te technology doesn't have an ideology, but it's a tool that people are, people use. Does it surprise you how far and wide that manifesto and similar documents like it had, have gone? Uh, it, it it does not surprise me, given the spread of technology and the fact that it is so much easier to spread a manifesto. You know, the, um, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber in the United States, wrote a, a book, a manifesto, uh, back in the day, and he used to have to go around to gun shows to try and hawk it, you know, in person and, you know, with a, a, <laughs> with a little booth. And, you know, he, he only ever sold really a couple hundred copies. You know, now uh, the Christchurch shooter, the El Paso shooter, you know, uh, the Charleston shooter, the Oslo shooter, all of these, um, these right-wing extremist terrorists, you know, their manifestos are easily shared online. I think the challenge that... Um, governments are starting to confront and uh, I would argue need to you know, urgently step up and confront is the extent to which we are supporting tech companies and providing advice to tech companies so that uh, such hate-filled, anti-democratic um, national security threats that right-wing extremists pose can be taken down or deplatformed. Uh, so, uh, for example, um, after Christchurch, the Australian government, like many other governments, signed up to the Christchurch call, which was all about taking down violent extremist content online. Uh, however, uh, it is still possible, in fact, quite easily possible, to get the Christchurch terrorist manifesto online in Australia and around the world. Um, you know, I think Australia needs to seriously consider uh, 
steps such as what's happening in the UK where they've got a white paper that's looking at you know how to define hate speech online. Um, New Zealand has uh, terrorist laws that allow for the prescription of individuals uh, not just uh, organizations which means you know the Christchurch terrorist in New Zealand is a prescribed terrorist entity and it, it is not it is illegal to sell or promote his manifesto. These are the types of changes that we need to seriously consider in Australian law uh, in order to ensure our national security agencies have the tools that are fit for purpose to meet this threat. I saw you, you talk about that in your, um, in your op-ed recently. Uh, being a senator, you're also in contact with uh, your constituents in New South Wales and across the country. Um, what are people who belong to the the marginalised groups, if I can use that phrase, um, saying to you about mm. the way they feel when this uh, right-wing propaganda is enunciated on, on the internet or elsewhere? Mm. Yeah. When we started, and we, the Labour Party, started to look at whether or not we would move a referral to the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security to examine right-wing extremism, uh, we consulted with multicultural groups and multi-faith groups across Australia. And, you know, across the board, there was resounding support uh, for the government uh, and the parliament to take seriously uh, this growing threat uh, and to ensure we had the tools that were fit for purpose. You know, the Jewish community, the Islamic community, uh, multicultural groups um, from you know, many different backgrounds, uh, all raising the concerns of their members and their communities who were saying to us, you know, it is our, uh, our families when they're out and about in public, on public transport or in shops or cafes, you know, that feel this and have experienced uh, the racism and in some cases, violent attacks. And you know, the fact of the matter is that Australia is the most successful multicultural nation on earth. Study after study uh, still shows that unlike our, you know, some American or um, European counterparts, um, Australia has not experienced the, um, the same levels of, you know, nativism, xenophobia and racism uh, and anti-immigration. You know, most Australians, overwhelming majority of Australians still value uh, immigration and recognise that it's contributed to our economic and cultural and social success. Um, however, right-wing extremist groups want to undermine all that. They want to tear that down. They want, you know, as I said, you know, the National Socialist Network, which is you know, the group I was referring to earlier, their motto is Australia for the white man. And it is a, an attempt to overthrow and delegitimize democracy, undermine the, the social fabric of our multicultural community, uh, and, um, and, you know, install a uh, fascist dictatorial government to govern in the interests of the white man. You know, that is the most anti, um, dem that is the most un-Australian uh, sentiment I can imagine. And we need to, as a parliament, uh, take that threat seriously. Uh, what are the most frequent manifestations of the sort of, uh, sort of abuse that, that people report uh, to you when mm. you have the discussions with them. I think it, it, mm. we, talk, we talk about ideology, but there's an impact on those at the receiving end. 
There absolutely is. And, you know, I hear from uh, some of these groups that we consulted with how, you know, um, uh, for example, um, women from the Islamic community, um, particularly after you, some of your listeners may recall, you know, horrific, um, the horrific reports of a, a, a young um, Islamic woman being physically attacked uh, in, a, in a restaurant um, for nothing more than sitting with some of her friends. But there was it was a hate filled element, racist element in, <laughs> that motivated that attack. And so, you know, we hear from, um, you know, communities, you know, that that you know, women and women and children are often you know fearful to be out in public uh, because they know there is this growing you know strain of um, racist and anti-Islamic views. You know, the Jewish community has talked to me about the extent to which they have had to step up security around schools and synagogues, and 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 you know that their their community members are incredibly mindful of the anti-Semitic nature of um you know and they see it online they 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 feel that when they move about the community um you know and then we've got you know the kind of um the way in which there are mainstream voices in politics or the media that have you know at a minimum given comfort to these kinds of views and so i think about you know senator erica Batts in a uh, in a parliamentary hearing asking only the Chinese Australian um, witnesses, not asking any other witnesses uh, to declare their allegiance to Australia before they start um, uh, providing evidence. You know, these are some of these are people who were born here. I mean, this is extraordinary that this is happening right now uh, in our parliament. You know, and we've got people like George Christensen and, and Craig Kelly who regularly appear on social media platforms where the right-wing extremists and promote their messages. Um, you know, Craig Kelly has had Pete Evans, a noted, you know, <laughs> extremist on, on, you know, he's been on his podcast, he's had him into parliament. Yeah, let's not kid ourselves that there are not voices in mainstream Australia that are supporting or at least giving comfort to these extreme views. One of the things that uh, I guess is a convenient segue, we've spoken about impacts, uh, I guess we need to talk about solutions. You mentioned earlier on there's a need to entertain a level of prescription of individuals um, as well as organisations. And and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you'd entertain more, uh, a greater number of right-wing organisations getting prescribed. Am I right? Well, I cannot understand the extent to which we have uh, been the, we found ourselves as a country, we are the last five-eyes country to, pre to prescribe any right-wing um, right extremist group as a terrorist group. Uh, we have got groups here in Australia that are prescribed in Canada and the United Kingdom that are not prescribed here. And you know, I think it's important to remember that prescription is not just about the tools that it gives to our national security agencies to combat the threat. It is also about sending a clear message that, of what we as Australians reject. And just to put this in context for your listeners, you know, Australia currently prescribes 27, well now 28, uh, 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 terrorist groups as terrorist organizations. Uh, 26 of those are Islamic extremists or, or religiously motivated um, Islamist groups. 
Uh, one is the PKK, and now there is one that we have prescribed that's a right-wing extremist group in the United Kingdom that has quite limited reach into Australia. And, you know, just to flesh that out a bit more, some of those 26 groups um, that are um, Islamist or jihadist, you know, they have no interest in Australia. You know, the, the, I've yet to see what, um, you know, I've yet to hear from security agencies the exact nature of the threat posed to Australia by the, you know, Islamic movement of Uzbekistan. Um, but, you know, we send, we prescribe groups sometimes because our allies have done it, sometimes just to send a clear message, it's what we reject. And yet the government has insisted uh, that, you know, there's a real, there's a real, some real challenges to prescribing right-wing extremist group and groups that you know, they're, they're savvy and they stay just below the threshold of, you know, not publicly inciting violence. And, and some of them do do that. So my argument back is, well, then we need to look at our prescription laws, because if we can't send a message that we as Australia reject the anti-democratic racist, misogynistic, um, hate-filled narratives coming from some of these groups, then we have a real problem on our hands. Uh, and so we need to consider the extent to which our prescription laws are fit for purpose, but we also need to be looking at a range of other measures, you know, you know for um, declared area provisions where it is, um, uh, for example, you as an Australian cannot go to certain areas where Islamic State is. Um, and if you do, that is, a, that is considered a, a crime. Um, you know, that we know that there are Australians who have traveled to parts of the Ukraine to do paramilitary training with far-right extremist groups. Why is that not also similarly illegal? Um, we uh, need to think about the, the way in which we do provide clear advice or indeed pass legislation when it comes to um, what tech companies, um, social media platforms can and can't share uh, on their or allow on their sites. Um, you know, and again, you know, the Department of Home Affairs has used that approach quite effectively when it comes to, you know, Islamic State uh, and, and other um, extremist jihadist groups, but very rarely has done so when it comes to right-wing extremist groups. The last thing that I would just point out here, and there'll be many other measures I'm sure that the committee will examine, but the last thing I'll make the point about here is prevention and de-radicalization. And, you know, and prevention is always better than de-radicalization. It's, it's far more effective and, and, and less intensive. Um, but we are not doing what we did uh, with um, the Islamic community when we reached out, we did um, proactive intervention. We had assisted parents and schools and grandparents and, 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 and religious leaders to help identify those people who were at risk of radicalization who were starting to you know, speak in, in terms that indicated they were being radicalized and you know, intervene and stop it before it takes root. We're not doing that with the wider Australian community when it comes to right-wing extremism. And I recognize it's a bit harder, but it is absolutely fundamental and essential that we do that. So uh, yeah, I think the committee's work uh, is absolutely necessary. Uh, and uh, I'm really pleased that Labor uh, brought it to the parliament, the referral to get this done. Now, one of the things in terms of uh, certain platforms, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but uh, Telegram itself on a daily basis reports how many ISIS, Islamic State-related Telegram accounts it boots off its servers. Mm -hmm. 
Um, in February, and I've got the number in front of me right now, it booted off 15,659 of them. So it is possible. Yes. It is possible to do. It is absolutely possible to do. And, you know, the, the, the mention of Telegram provides us with another metric to measure the extent to which um, right-wing extremism is growing um, in Australia, that we have seen uh, the numbers uh, of, um, of people subscribing to the National Socialist Network's Telegram account, you know, grow by the thousands. I think my, I'll double check, but my memory is it's grown by about 3,000. Uh, it, it is actually much more now because <laughs> on the 1st of March, I, uh, I popped the number into a spreadsheet I have in front of me right now, and it was 5,008. Uh, mm. And one of them, uh, and this is the um, this is the leader's account. It's now at nine thousand seven hundred and four. Um, not too far from uh, not too far from hitting ten thousand. Yeah, and and yeah, just to put that in context, a year, a couple of years ago, it would have only been around two thousand. So you know, it may not sound like a lot, but it is. It is you know, it is extraordinary uh, growth in a short period of time. Yeah, and but a part of that is due to the uh, publicity on uh, on a current affair. Uh, that, that was a massive spike. Um, yeah. Uh, in the early part of March, but rest assured, it's still nowhere near Pete Evans though. Which you, as of yesterday, you were sitting on thirty-two thousand seven hundred and forty-five. Yeah. Um, but there's that. There's something else. Uh, you're, you're a former teacher, um, and you've also got a master's of arts in religious studies. Moving away from what the committee is doing and taking it, I guess, to some ground that's also familiar to you, um, to what extent should we be incorporating um, comparative philosophy, comparative religion, mm. and all those things in the curriculum of, at the, at the very least, to secondary school students mm. to build a degree of res resilience when it comes to uh, dealing with alternative points of view. Mm. Yeah, I have long had a view, long before we've had to deal with some of these issues, that a, a well-rounded education uh, includes um, a, a deep understanding of um, different religious traditions. Uh, and uh, that's not just in terms of, you know, having an appreciation and an understanding of, of the viewpoints of different um, groups in, 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 in the community, although that is fundamental, um, but even things like understanding um, literary references or historical references or, or you know, let's, let's not pretend that you know Christianity, uh, Judaism, Islam, and the other Hinduism, all of these you know major world religions have shaped the philosophical, historical uh, context in which you know communities, laws, um, practices uh, have all developed. And so I think it's fundamental at one level that we have that kind of um, that 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 content in our, our curriculum. Um, but when it comes to some of these questions about, you know, um, uh, leadership uh, responding, um, you know, 
to to threats as they emerge, understanding the values that people bring to the table. You know, I don't know how you have conversations um, with different groups in the community unless you really do understand where they're coming from. And you know, I you know we all. Um, have in the last 20 years um, done a great deal of work to you know, better understand uh, the nature of Islam, to better understand uh, the, you know, the, how the extremists have taken what is a, um, a, a, a world religion and turned it into a tool for violent ideology, which is alien to that religion. Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of work with the Islamic community. As when I say we, I mean, you know, let's be blunt. Um, most of us in parliament are not Islamic. Most of us in, in security agencies are not from the Islamic faith. And so there's been a lot of necessity in coming to understand it, appreciate it, and, and work with those communities and work, understand the motivating ideology of these, of these violent extremists, um, which is not their ideology is not Islam, it is a perversion of it. And when I look at right-wing extremism, you know, we are talking, is there a legitimate conservative, you know, um, right-wing view within our democratic system? Of course there is. And does it have a legitimate role? Of course it does. You know, but it is that conservative or right-wing, you know, view in, a, in our political debate is one that supports democracy and is, is contesting its ideas in the democratic um, uh, landscape and you know is one that um, supports and recognizes the fundamental rights and and um, of every uh, person in Australia of its, of its citizens uh, that is not the case with right-wing extremism it's a perversion and uh, of that ideology uh, and it's and that's what I would say we um, need to better understand uh, although uh, this is the last point I'll make on this you may want to come in on on these points but I do, I do think one of the challenges for our national security agencies is that um, Islamic extremism or is Islamist jihadism is a, um, while it is a perversion and of, of Islam and while it is a, um, a violent ideology, it is also somewhat predictable. Like you can follow a dogma and a theory and understand the end point of what groups like Islamic State are trying to achieve. You know, when it comes to right-wing extremism, you have such a mishmash and fluidity of ideologies uh, and a, a real freely borrowing of one or the other and, and a mixture of grievances and anger and, that, and hatred that brings people to right-wing extremism that it is, a, it is harder for our national security agencies to um, predict uh, and, and, and understand. Um, and so uh, this is a challenge that, um, you know, we as a committee on the Intelligence and Security Committee also will need to grapple with. Now, to use the language we've become very familiar with in COVID times, uh, there'll be parents who listen to this and will probably mm. read something I write as a consequence of this podcast, um, who, are, who are concerned uh, about these developments how did they help inoculate their young people mm -hmm. their sons and daughters from this kind of uh, ideology um, uh, as parents as as influences in their children's lives mm -hmm. well parents um teachers coaches um religious leaders uh, i think they've all got a role to play in 
um, both uh, reinforcing uh, uh, positive messages about multiculturalism uh, and the diversity in our community, and as well as uh, keeping um, a close watch when a young person starts to um, express views or, or make new friends or join up with activities uh, that, that raise alarm or concern. Um, and I think that the, the first thing for particularly parents of you know, teenagers, and let's be blunt, these groups are now targeting pe people, mainly men, as young as 14. Um, and so I think the, 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 the first step for parents is to be you know, talking to their children and teachers in classrooms and in other contexts, coaches, about you know, the, the value of um, each individual, about um, racism, about multiculturalism, uh, you know, in ways that are appropriate to that person. But, you know, just to start to, you know, one, send a counter message to reinforce, you know, the values that, you know, most Australians hold, and, I'm, and I know many parent, Australian parents would hold, um, and then also um, to, to help understand where uh, a young person's um, thinking is at on some of these things. But I think, you know, Tom, if I can also say um, government has a role here too. We have not had an anti-racism campaign in Australia since 2012. Um, it, that one expired uh, in 2017. And so we have not had a replacement. And, you know, it's important that our community is reinforcing the values we hold at an institutional level, at a government level. If you don't reinforce those values, if you don't send a counter narrative, if you remain silent while these voices are getting stronger, we risk losing those values. Um, and so I think there's a role here for government as well. The other thing I would say that um, all parents, coaches, teachers, you know, any adult that interacts with a young person in particular, if you start to be concerned, do something. You know, this is, um, you know, call the, um, the, uh, the local police. Um, they will be able to connect into their um, experts. Call uh, national security agencies. Um, you know, ASIO has a, has, um, in, you know, and, and the AFP both have um, on their website ways people can contact them. You know, this is a case of, you know, the same messages we were sending to the Islamic community to help, you know, we want to help you if you have concerns about a, a family member. We need to be sending more broadly to the Australian community now. Uh, and particularly uh, in area, you know, we know that right-wing extremism uh, is, um, you know, it's spread across the country. You know, let's be blunt, you know, it's occur, you know, radicalization is occurring in regional and rural Australia. It's in, occurring in our big cities. Um, unlike the Islamic communities where you could work with Islamic um, communities in, in areas where they were, where you had a, um, you know, a strong population, we are now dealing with something that is spread right across, geographically across Australia. And so, you know, we need to bring parents, teachers, coaches, religious leaders, um, you know, Christian pastors, you know, whoever, uh, into the um, partnership with the national security agencies to help counter this threat. Now, the committee is doing, uh, the committee is going to have some public hearings, and and I understand uh, it's received a lot of submissions from, uh, from things I've heard. When... 
I mean, the deadline for the committee to report uh, is sometime in April. Um, do you think that'll that'll still be uh, be the case? Oh, look, I can't comment on the um, deliberations of the Intelligence and Security Commission or uh, committee or its, yeah. its timetable. Um, but you know, we have published a first draft of submissions from government and security agencies uh, because it's important we set a context um, and get lay down a base, uh, a kind of a fact baseline as to what is happening. Um, but yes, we will be having public hearings um, in the near future. Yeah, Senator Keneally, I'm mindful of the time and you've been absolutely gracious and generous with uh, uh, coming on today. Uh, thank, thank you so much for coming on board. Thank you, Tom, and, and thank you for the work you do because it's important that, you know, in, our, in the media, in the community and in the parliament, we are talking about what is an ugly and growing threat to Australia. Um, we are a strong multicultural country and it's, you know, my determination and I know it's a determination of many Australians that we stay that way. Thank you for joining me and hopefully we can talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you.